the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and the most powerful stories than The Athletic. Download the app, follow your favorite teams and leagues, and get a personalized feed of ad free exclusive content. For access to all the stories at the heart of the game, visit theathletic.com slash spot track, S P O T R A C, and get 40% off your first year subscription today. Happy Sunday afternoon. My name is Mike Gennetti. Plenty to get to. I'm watching a golf tournament, a NASCAR race, a baseball game, and I'm getting ready for the NBA All-Star game. So it's uh, it's an all-sports afternoon for me, as I'm sure it is for many of you. It's going to be a little NFL heavy and a little money heavy. Isn't that what you're here for? Quick open about contract restructures in the NFL. I'll get to that in a second. Then we're going to bring in Scott Allen, and we're going to go around the big four sports. Hockey, basketball, baseball, football. How do the fines and suspensions work, right? What's the actual policy? Is there a format for certain fines, certain suspensions? Is there Are there slotted uh, infraction prices for each league? Is there an actual position to monitor this kind of stuff? How do each league actually handle an incident that comes up? And then where does the money go? If player X gets fined X dollars, where does that money turn and go to um, in one case or another? So a quick look around the four leagues and how fines and suspensions work. Then on the back end, real quick, we're going to sort of do a mini precursor for NFL free agency extensions, all that good stuff, trades that might come in. We're going to look at every position quickly and look at the top price. So who's the highest average paid player at every NFL position? And just a guess between Scott and I, and, you know, an educated assessment, will that be eclipsed in the next couple of weeks? You know, will there be a quarterback that goes north of 45 million? Will there be a running back that goes north of 16 million? And we kind of go on a case by case, talk about a couple of players who may be able to get there, may not be able to get there, but kind of a neat way to think about the next couple of weeks and maybe your favorite free agents who are either coming to your team or possibly leaving your team. So that'll be the back end of the show as well. But first, with the Tom Brady news coming, <laughs> I have to get there. I have to get there before Tom Brady's contract comes. It, it is largely said, and we've said it for the past couple of weeks, that Tom Brady is most likely getting a new contract in Tampa Bay, something he has done often in his career. Okay? I mean, Yes, he just got there last year. So why would he need a new contract? I know that's what some of you are thinking. That's exactly why I want to have this conversation. Okay. And, you know, I did a quick Bills tweet and said, Tredavious White's probably getting restructured because his base salary is high. The Bills need cap space. He's already locked in for five more years contractually. So they could already convert that signing, bo- that, that base salary into signing bonus and spread it out over five years pretty easily. I had two or three people immediately write back and say, no, no, he just signed that deal. There's no way he's restructuring it. So let me just tr- try to put, put this out there a little bit. Number one, almost never does a restructure come with less money. Almost never. Yes, Ben Roethlisberger just restructured his final year and took $5 million less. Very unique situation, very rare occurrence. Eli Manning didn't do it with almost the exact same scenario. Okay, Ben took less and he took less because he was trying to help his team a little bit. And he restructured and added those void years to 100% help his team. So that's rare. Tom Brady's not doing that. He might do that. There's like a 2% chance he might take less. Okay, he's slated to make $25 million this year. There are $5 million more to be made in incentives, basically. Um, 
I don't think he'll take less than that. I think he might take exactly the same, 25 million. And it's just going to be converted into a minimum salary of $1.075 million and a sizable roster bonus or signing bonus, most likely a signing bonus. This is what he did in New England every two to three years, sometimes every year at, at the latter stages, right? It was all about keeping things flexible, keeping things fluid and current so that at no point in time is he sitting on a 25, 27, 28 million dollar cap hit. His cap hit right now is 28.3 million with Tampa Bay, okay? Even in a year where the cap went up 10 million, that would still be a little high for him. Truly, that would be a little high. So I would expect him to hit, even if the cap was 210 right now, or 205 or 206, I still think he would be restructuring his contract and, and, and extending himself out. So two reasons. Number one, he's going to lower that 28 million. He's going to convert most of the 25 million cash into a signing bonus, maybe all of it, you know, maybe 24 and change and stay on the, on the base minimum, almost $2 million salary. And that'll be it. And then there'll be another year added next year, which by the way, will be his age 45 year. That's another thing he's always wanted to do. He said it numerous times. He wants to play at age 45. So this extension would put him at age 45. Okay. Here's the problem. <laughs> Tampa Bay doesn't operate with signing bonuses very well. Almost never. Okay. They restructure very little. They offer signing bonuses extremely little. So it's going to be difficult to see how they structure this. Now, now Pittsburgh doesn't use void years, but with Ben's contract, they decided to tack on four void years in order to spread out his signing bonus and make it work for everybody. It's likely Tampa Bay does the same thing here. And they just kind of forego their structure, forego their tradition to say this one specifically we're going to do it under Brady's terms. So this is how Brady operates. We, he gets about 20 to $25 million signing bonuses. We tack on one to two years, the back end of his current contract, spread the cap out, and everybody's good with it, right? Tampa Bay hates dead cap. They hate it. They are perennially at the bottom of the list in terms of NFL dead cap. So they are not going to like that kind of structure, but I don't know how you, you do this and, and really avoid it. You know, if, if the goal is to lower the cap at this year, which everybody's trying to do with many, many major players, you're going to have to give into that structure. Again, he's almost definitely not taking a pay cut, okay? And many of these players will not be taking pay cuts. I just put a tweet out about the Bills where I have five players eligible for a restructure. In none of those cases do I think any of those players will be making a dollar less cash. All I'm doing in all these cases is I'm taking whatever his base salary is, and I'm bringing it down to the minimum, okay? And we, we show the minimum salaries for every threshold on the website. So for instance, Tom Brady, with all of his experience, again, his minimum salary is $1.075 million. So right now his base salary is 15 million. If we're gonna drop that down, right, that leaves us with $13.9 million, okay? That's what his restructured signing bonus would be if we're taking 15 down. Let's say he's going to throw his roster bonus in as well. So it's the full $25 million. He's going to restructure all the cash he's going to make. Again, he's got to make a salary this year. So you take the $25 million, you subtract it from 1075000, and you get $23.925 million. That would be the, the maximum restructure you could do to this contract, Okay. And basically start over. If you're if you're going to keep him at twenty five million dollars cash this year, which again, that's usually what happens with these restructures. 
again, they could rip it up. He could make 10 million this year and really, really help the team. It's not likely. It isn't something that generally happens. But the restructure would be a base salary of 1.075 million, a signing bonus of 23.925 million, and you would add years to be able to spread that out. So if you added that, you know, if you did that over two years, the cap hit would be 11.9 million each this and next year. If you did it over three, it'd be less. If you did it over four, it'd be less. Maximum five years spread out the signing bonus cap. That's how the same cash lowers cap. You take cash that's already going to be paid out. Tom Brady's $25 million is already fully guaranteed. You take that, you drop it down in terms of the actual week-to-week salary. You drop it down to the minimum salary for that player's experience level. You convert the rest into a signing bonus that he's going to be paid, so he's still getting paid at all. And you spread out that bonus over a maximum five years in terms of the cap. That's how you save the cap. That's what's going to happen with with, with 96.7% of these restructures you're going to hear. I'm just going to give you a fake percentage. Okay. If there's a base salary and a roster bonus, most likely those are being restructured together this year. Okay. You're trying to maximize your cap savings this year. So you're seeing workout bonuses get restructured. You're seeing everything get dragged into restructures and converted into signing bonuses. All right. To lower the 2021 cap hit. So it's about what is this player's minimum salary for this year based on his years of experience? And then what is the actual cash payout that this player is starting with minus that minimum salary? And then we can spread it out over either whatever's left on the contract, or we can tack on void years, dummy years to get ourselves to five, the maximum amount of proration. All right. So if you're going to restructure somebody, that's the, that's the rules. That's kind of the, the threshold. Take the current cash, drop it to a minimum, convert the rest to a signing bonus and, and, prorate it over however many years you want from two to five. That's how we're getting this done. That's how so many teams are going to be reacting over the next 10 days to get themselves a cap neutral. If they need to just get themselves to zero or B clear up space to go and take a swing at Shaq Baird and Allen Robinson, whoever else they're, they've got their eyes on. Um, that's the process. So when Tom Brady says, you know, maybe Tom Brady's a bad example because there probably is a chance that he takes less, knowing what we know now about the whole situation. But, you know, you're seeing so many of these New Orleans Saints players. You're going to see a couple of Bills players. You're going to see some Colts. You're going to see some players from pretty much every team restructure their contract. Don't immediately say to yourself, why is this guy taking less? He's not. He's not. Okay. Same cash, converting it into a bonus, getting it paid up front dropping the cap hit to help his team out. That's it. Being a good soldier with the cap. And oh, by the way, for a lot of these contracts, for instance, Tredavious White, I haven't seen the contract physically, but because this is year two, generally speaking in year two or year three, there are there are riders built into the language of the actual contract that says, hey, either the, either the bills hold the right to restructure this or the bills will be restructuring this. So it's got a it's got a face value at first, but then there's actually a restructure already built in to say, hey, that roster bonus, yeah, we're gonna convert that into signing bonus. So it's gonna be treated as signing bonus and we're gonna we're gonna spread that out over the remaining remainder of the contract to make our cap hit a little better that year. Already built in language. That happens a lot and it's happening more and more. But either way, it's almost never a pay cut. Just think about that first before you react to the fact that somebody is essentially taking a pay cut, unless, unless the report out there says agreed to drop his salary okay, or took a pay cut or accepted a pay cut, unless that is how it is reported, 
assume that no cash is being lost. Assume that this is just pushing cap down the line, converting salary to bonus, pushing cap down the line. Just assume that's what's happening with a lot of what's going on over the next 10 days. All right, let's talk to Scott Allen about fines, suspensions, the policies, where does the money go, and then who's going to eclipse their top AAV positionally. Scott, welcome back to the show. It's our Sunday show, so what better to talk about than <laughs> fines and suspensions? <laughs> uh, you know, trying to change it up a bit here. You know, we've been down the NFL free agency rabbit hole for quite a bit here. And good old Tom Wilson always gives us a chance to bring this up annually. So this is your neck of the woods. I'm sure this is what much of the <laughs> the hockey talk is around there right now. I mean, Ovechkin was fined last week <clears throat> for spearing a player and kind of babyishly too. And then, you know, Tom Wilson goes Tom Wilson and gets himself another suspension, this time seven games. Um, so his resume is really starting to build up nicely if that's the kind of thing you're into. <laughs> so it's, I think it's a good time to talk about how these leagues, A, police this stuff, find suspensions, and then B, what happens to the money? Because that's a bit of a mystery. And, and you know, unless you're really sitting inside some of these boards, um, I'm not sure we have all the answers, that's for darn sure, but at least we have the surface answers that some of these collective bargaining agreements or, you know, blog posts, I should say, have on there. Let's start with the NHL because this one is, you know, it's the one we hear about the most because this is easily the most violent sport um, of the big four. So there's enough banging around to at least get, get, get people riled up. And that's kind of the point here. The NHL has really had to formalize this process, right, Scott? I, I mean, you know, I've got bullet points here. There's a, there's an official Department of Player Safety. There is a formal position. Somebody's job is actually to review any incident that is brought to their attention to say, hey, this may be questionable. Can you do some deep dive investigation on it? There's a job for that. And then the investigation then turns into a 100% transparent report that sits on a blog, the player safety blog on NHL.com with a video explanation, kind of like a Peyton Manning detail, right? Of exactly what the hell happened and why they're they're opting to go one way or another in terms of, yes, it's going to be a fine. Yes, it's going to be a suspension. This is why it's this. Um, so they're, they're, they're about as transparent as any league can be with this kind of incident. And still, it's just ridiculously objective and ridiculously controversial. I mean, the back and forth on Twitter is relentless when these kind of things come up. I'm sure the Tom Wilson stuff was just as controversial. Um, you know, there's, there's, uh, just a group of fans that want, want, still want it to be 1975 and Tom Wilson kind of plays like that, you know, many nights. And then certainly there's a lot more progressive fans that want a lot of the stuff out of the league completely. So it's, it's really polarizing. Uh, any thoughts on the NHL and how they're handling this? Because let me push it this way to you. There's really not like a breakdown of if you spear a guy or if you hit a guy in the head or if you hit a guy from behind or, you know, there's there, there are probably maybe eight or 10 really specific ways to get yourself at least a, uh, an investigation, but there's no, it costs this or, you know, the second time costs this. It's really just a, a proration of what your current salary is based on how many days or games that they dictate your uh, your penalty to be just your overall thoughts on how the NHL is handling this in 2021. 
You know, that's interesting. I didn't really realize that they had a blog where they posted that kind of stuff. So that that, that is very interesting to know that. Um, Incredibly formal, it, Scott. Yeah, really, really detailed. And that's really good because, you know, it's being transparent and upfront about it, but it's also covering – covering themselves for any go. legal aspects. They're, they're putting everything out there so that, you know, it, especially like you said, it's probably the most violent sport b besides the NFL. So they have to deal with, you know, if, if somebody is getting a fine for fighting or the hitting like Tom Wilson or anything like that, they're at least covering their bases and detailing everything out front um, so that, that's really interesting. I, I did not know about that. How was the Ovechkin situation treated down there? Did you hear anything of it on the radio? I mean, it, you know, I did not. It's not, yeah, it's not really his thing. Uh, this was kind of just a retaliation, but you, you don't generally see the big players in hockey anymore doing this kind of stuff. So I just wonder if that came up. So if you didn't hear it, it probably didn't get too far. Um, certainly Tom or Wilson, I wasn't, yeah. or, or I wasn't listening at that time. Well, it, it certainly <laughs> didn't, you know, pokey in the butt. That's for sure. Right. right. <laughs> the, the, the NFL and with uh, baseball coming online here more. Yeah. So that, that's the predominant talking right now. Every so often they, they do have, I know at the drive at home, they have like, um, like Backstrom or, or sure. Eric Carlson or something, they come on and they talk about that stuff. But uh, I, I'm hit and missing that. So if they have talked about any of, you know, Vetchkin or, you know, Wilson over the weekend here, I, I, I haven't heard it. You know, not, and we'll stay here for a little bit. The fact that they're so transparent and that literally they're giving you a, a blow by blow report of every incident that they investigate, it, it is dangerous to get back onto the Twitter sphere. You know what I mean? Because there is a 100% stance taken you know it's it's this this is how we feel this is exactly what happened in our in our opinion in our mind whereas you know these other sports we're going to get to there's just so much hanging out there you know so much unsaid publicly that it's kind of up to fan a and fan b to figure out where this thing should actually live in infamy right because the nhl takes actually gives you an answer and they're the only league I think that really does this. I mean, the, the NFL will fine and there we'll get to them in a second. It's a lot more formatted and a lot more kind of slotted, but you know, the NHL gives you all, they, they show you exactly how the sausage is made with how they break these down. I think I, I think I still would vote for that with all of these leagues. Um, and I understand why the NHL has to do it. You're right. It's a liability issue more than anything. They are putting themselves out well, there for, you know, especially with the whole <laughs> aggravated assault. Right? Well, especially with the whole concussion situation that, that the NFL has gone through and the NHL is going through, you know, if if there is a violent fight that, you know, they've documented sure. and they they're covering themselves, not just for now and any litigation within, you know, this last year, they're 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 documenting and, and being upfront about everything now so that in 10 years, if a guy comes back and says, Oh, I got a concussion and I have CTE right. and I have, you know, I'm having issues because of these fights. Well, they have everything documented and they, by doing it now and saying exactly what that video is, they're creating a trail that they don't have to go back in 10 years trying to find these videos. They already have this paper trail and, and, or and digital trail. Let's not be naive. I'm sure every sport is doing, every league is doing this, right? Internally, there's probably a, you know, a, a gigantic database where this stuff all lives and these reports exist. You know, the lawyers would never let them get away with not going this far, right? But the NHL, then, like I said, it's 
the, the part that really stands out is that it's literally a blog on NHL.com. It is literally there for everybody to evaluate and see. They want the, the general public to see and know the work that they've done, whereas that's just not the case with the other leagues. The other leagues, like, I mean, they're probably doing this kind of stuff, due diligence, but they're not putting it out there for us to react to. So so what is your, what are your thoughts there? Is that... Is that reckless or is that kind of just leaning into the into the sport that it is? I think it's leaning into the sport that it is. I do not think it's reckless. I think it's actually proactive and, and smart on their end because, look, we know that they're the right now the fourth big sport in the sure. United States. So they have to do everything that they can because – the revenue is not necessarily coming in for them as it is for the NBA or the NFL. So they have to do everything that they can to mitigate, you know, any loss of revenue or, you know, um, legality aspects. So I, I sort of give them kudos for putting these things out there because, you know, on the flip side, you have the NFL who with, you know, all, all the stuff that's going on with them, they're they're not as transparent as others out there. I guess it's know? it is certainly a direct way to engage with your fans. <laughs> you know, I mean there are there are plenty of other ways to do it, and many of the other leagues have figured this out. But the NHL, you're right, is kind of behind the eight ball with all of that. Not maybe not to their own fault. It's just how it's it's gone. You know, it's not really an American sport to begin with. So they just seem to be behind it and. Uh, I, there's no question these get more coverage than many, many highlights do. You know, when Tom Wilson does his his antics and the, the players and safety department responds officially, there's a back and forth. There's a lot that I'm not saying it goes viral necessarily, but in, inside the NHL, you know, sphere, it, it makes the round. So there's an expectation now with it. And I, I guess you're right. I guess I have to agree with the fact that it would be great if all of the leagues did this, you know, the NFL specifically because there is a connection to the violence there, right? That too. And think of it from, from our site, SEO is everything in in being able to post (laughs) and link it. The fact that the NHL has a specific blog that can be linked to by media or direct links to specific articles or Tom Wilson or whatever, they're sort of fueling the fire of the social media aspect where they can directly link and talk about these aspects right away. Whereas in the other sports, you may get a a media report here or there, or maybe it's an internal Mm -hmm. official media report that only reporters get access to. And, you know, it's not out there unless they retweet it or share it amongst you know, in their articles that they write. So the fact that they're owning their own content, uh, owning their yeah. own content. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. So you're right. I can't argue with that. That's, that's kind of, you know, the way things go right now. That's what a lot of players are trying to do. So I, I got to give kudos, like I said, to the NHL for doing the same here. So where does that money go? Uh, it's not a ton of money, although, you know, I did a quick kind of three year span based on the data that we collect Scott with all four of these leagues, generally speaking, um, it's kind of up there, you know, because the suspensions kind of kick in quite a lot of money. They do. There's a decent amount of suspension on, on an annual basis inside these NHL locker rooms. All the money that is forfeited via the fine or via suspension goes basically to what's called the Players Emergency Assistant Fund. This is good stuff, by the way. Um, this is basically it's a foundation that that the NHL has inside their system 
that helps former players and their families if there's a health issue, you know, substance abuse, bankruptcy, just falling on hard times, essentially. Um, this is an active, ongoing thing. And there's many of, you know, named players from back in the day who have had to reach out for a bit of a bailout, you know, uh, kind of a monthly stipend for six to 12 months just to get themselves back on their feet for whatever reason it is. But that's where this money goes 100% directly. And we're talking like 75 to 100 uh, um, people or families every year at any given time are being aided from this money. So, you know, while there, while there's two to three million per year being fined or suspended inside of NHL locker rooms, that, that money is getting put to immediate use with former players. So it's hard to argue that. You know, there's really no, there's no way to argue that. Now, let's say a coach gets fined or a coach gets suspended or an owner gets suspended for, you know, whatever. We've seen it all lately. That's a different ball game. So the, any player suspension or fine goes to that emergency fund for former players. Any staff, coaches, owners, blah, 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 teams as a whole, that goes to what's called the NHL Foundation, which is the Hockey Fights Cancer charity right now. I mean, that's just what they've been kind of tied at the hip to for the past couple of years. So that money goes directly to that charitable event, which, you know, if you've been to or seen an NHL game during that time where they highlight the hockey fights cancer, that's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty powerful statement. The, yeah, the time they really spend on that. So again, money well spent for cheap shots and things like that, that happen throughout the NHL season. So this is by far the most structured, of the big four leagues in this regard. I'm going to go to your neck of the woods now, the NBA, Scott, and something I know very little about. I did some quick research here for preparation work. I'm hoping maybe there's a little bit more from your end that you can bring to this, but uh, it doesn't seem like there's, you know, a, a direct format for if Jason Tatum trips a player, he's going to get X fine. It doesn't seem like there's a formal position, you know, somebody in New York City or, or somewhere that is looking at this kind of stuff. It just seems like it's all in Adam Silver's lap. And it's a memo that gets placed on his desk on a Tuesday morning. <laughs> and He's going to have to review it with some staff members that maybe do this. And then there's a, a resolution that gets put out there. But let me put it this way. Question number one, if somebody gets fined, not for, you know, technical follows and things like that, the easy stuff, but, you know, something egregious, is it, is it does it become pretty public that that player lost twenty thousand dollars for an on court action? I know the off the court stuff obviously gets its heyday because all the news feeds really pick up on that. But what about like a, you know, like a a shot to the groin, something you know, something egregious? Yeah. Does that come come out you know kind of regularly, or is or is it more kind of hidden behind the uh, the steering wheel more? No, it's out there more regularly, I would say. I mean, the the main reporters will usually say if there was a fine or not. I mean, there was a, you know, Gobert and um, Donovan Mitchell, they they were fined um, just recently for criticism of officials. Okay. Um, and, and Donovan Mitchell was $25,000 and, and Gobert was $20,000 and that was put out there. There was a, another... Uh, fine for verbal uh, abuse or offense against an official <laughs> during a game. Um, so so let me cut you off there because the, the research I was doing basically said that is the single greatest fine. Is it still? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I know they've been trying to clean that up with you know more text and kind of letters to each player individually basically saying we got to lay off these guys, right? Guys and gals at this point. 
it's got, I, I bet it's gotten better, but that still seems to be the, the one we hear the most. So you mentioned that reporters, are, are you speaking to the beat reporters with the team or more of the Woges and the Shams, the, the national guys? I'm just wondering if the information's coming from the league or does it have to come from the team specifically? Um, I, I think it's a combination of both. I've seen it come from the big guys and I've seen it come from the beat reporters as well. Yeah. In some instances, you have to you have to do some due diligence on trying to find some of the finds that may come out. But for the most part, I've been able to track based on the, the big ones saying that this was the fine and this is the reason. Yeah. Um, I, outside of that, in the NBA, I mean, there's technical fouls. Like you said, they, they get suspend um they get fined for all the technical fouls if they haven't been rescinded or ejections are fined as well so those are what make the nba fines grow the quickest because of all the technical fouls that happen and there's tiers that's a system that actually has a specific tiered system in place for you know the amount of technical fouls and after the fifth it goes up and then after the 10th, it goes up and is and subsequently from there. So how many texts a, before you get suspended, Scott? 16. Wow. In, in any given year or is it tied to you? Uh, does it carry in over year. year to year? In a year. Oh, year. my God. All right. All right. So we, let's let's break this out a little bit, because as we're talking about this, I'm understanding that 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 the this is a compromising stance. This is the formality of the NBA's uh, uh, player adjudication system. These tech fouls. Right. They are basically let's put everything on the court and not have to deal with it after the fact. That's that's what these are for. Right. And ejections are, are basically the suspension, the, the suspension worthy things. Tech, technical fouls are basically, you know, it's yellow card versus red card here. If we're talking soccer and if you get enough yellow cards, it's going to turn into a red card. That's basically what you're saying with this format. So how much of this. Let me put it this way. Do you know how much of this then goes to some sort of more formal investigation? You know what I mean? Like, is it less than 5% of these techno- technical fouls even get to, you know, even get to some kind of league video review? I'm not really sure, to be honest. I, I don't know if they review all those technical fouls. And, and one thing that they do not find are flagrant fouls, which are sometimes more egregious than the technical foul. So those are ones that do not get. How could that not come and, with an automatic fine? <laughs> right. And you would think so, but they don't. The technical fouls, for some reason, they maybe because they happen more often. Uh, but the, <laughs> those those can be racked up pretty quickly. And, and when they get to the playoffs – it resets their technical fouls back to zero. So th- they may pick up more wow. in, after that, but um, in, they escalate faster in the playoffs because there's less games. See, I'm not sure I agree with that. That's an interest. I, I actually think the way that I brought it up is, is a little bit more interesting and maybe more powerful. You know, like how many does Draymond Green have his entire career? <laughs> what is he walking around with right now? You know what I mean? Rashid, yeah. I, I, Washid Wallace back in the day, you know, some of the bad boys. What I think that should kind of carry along with you, you know, not to label people, but if you're going to be an enforcer or that kind of a player, then there should be no reset button, right? Not, I understand that'll make it harder for guys to get contracts and get signed and things like that. But I wonder how, I wonder if that was ever discussed because that is sort of how it works with a soccer player, um, you know, through the various 
aspects of a, of their seasons or, or, or careers, right? If there's Europe football, then they go to a, uh, international football. The ten, generally speaking, if you play for a club, that you, your stance with that club carries through wherever they go. So that it's interesting that that could be something to consider down the road. If, for instance, the the verbal abuse stuff really comes back and and, and never really gets to the under control like the NBA wants it to. Um, well, in a in a rare case that can happen is the NBA can review video footage and then give a technical foul after the fact, mm. after a game is done, if they need to assess a technical foul on top of it. So um, in that case, it, it is very rare that I've seen that, but it it, it has happened. Um, so, By the way, yeah. I was uh, I just did a quick Google search here. I was dead on. Guess which player has the most technical fouls in a single regular season? Well, Draymond's got to be up there. Rasheed Wallace in the 2000-2001 yeah. season had 41 technical fouls in an 80-game season. That's good Holy stuff. Cow. Wow. That's good stuff right there. <laughs> That's why we loved him back in the day. It was a different game for sure. All right, yes, so was. so so as we kind of talked that out, I'm not sure they need to, need to have too much of a post-review, you know, although the flagrant foul situation seems to be a little bit broken. But it seems like the goal here is, you know, Adam Silver is basically saying, let's get this resolved on the court. It's the referee's job to tech where, where techs are, not, you know, are deemed necessary. And how are ejections handled? An automatic fine? Yes. First ejection is a $2,000 fine. And then after that, it escalates up $2,000 for every additional ejection during the year. So if you did, if you had a second ejection, it would be $4,000. Third ejection would be $6,000 right. fine. And All right. Going yeah, I mean, we're talking some pretty good coin here. It was, an, it was averaging about $5 million in fines and suspensions, excuse me, just fines to, you know, for three or four years. And then last year, it jumped up almost to $9 million. Um, obviously player salaries are increasing. So any portion that's taken out, um, is just going to increase accordingly, but that's a pretty good jump. And, and where does that money go? It's split 50, 50, like, like everything in the NBA, it's split 50, 50 to the league and to the players association. And then each of those parties selects a charity annually to donate that money to. So maybe whatever the, uh, you know, the ongoing theme is things like that. Um, each would have their own decision with that. Uh, so again, that's good to know. You know, it's not getting it's not getting thrown away really. Let's get to the NFL. Well, well, go one, ahead. One last you got more, thing. yeah. Uh, with, well, yeah, with the NBA, you know, we sort of skipped over. We talked about the NHL, but in in the NBA with suspensions themselves, they have two different tiers. Now, right. on a normal on a normal season, it's usually you take one divided by 145 and then times however many games you're suspended and that is how much money that the player will lose. Um, and if it, and then, and that's, if it's a 20 games or uh, less than 20 games suspension, if it's more than 20 games, then it's one divided by 110. Uh, in, in this season, if it's less than 20 games, it's one divided by 97 and then multiply by however many games you're suspended. Um, so, but the, the, the caveat that's a little bit different than the NHL is, you know, if a player is is suspended, say they're the money that they will lose is uh, for easy purposes, one million dollars. They're able to take 
50% of that $1 million off of their luxury tax value that the player would be assessed at. So there is a little bit of, mm. um, rebre- um, you know, give Cap- back. Cap circumvention? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Get, give back for the luxury tax for for that suspension. So Yeah, that's a good little- note because in the NHL, and I'll bring it up quickly, um, it's one, it's one divided by the total days of the season for a first offense. If you get a second offense for the same kind of a thing. So if you, if there's an illegal check to the head, you know, one time, and then there's a second time that you get fined for an illegal or suspended for an illegal check to the head. First time is days of the, of the season. Second time is games in a season. So in the NHL, it goes from like one, you know, basically like one fifty to 82. So you lose a lot more of this for the second offense, which makes perfect sense. And I imagine that's how many organizations do their business with this kind of stuff. So, all right. Yeah. Let's, uh, I'll leave you with some trivia on the NBA, Scott. Who's got the longest suspension in NBA history? Oh, uh... not, not that long ago. And I think you'd remember the incident. <laughs> uh, I I can't think of the name, but I know it's someone that's greater than 20 games. Oh, yeah. I believe. Oh, oh yeah. How about greater than a full season? <laughs> it's the 2004 Malice in the Palace, of course. Oh, Ron Artest. Ron Artest goes into the stand and stands and yeah. beats some people up, and he gets an 86-game suspension. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sprewell was, was, was second all-time, 68 from that same thing. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's weird stuff for sure. Um, the NFL, you know, always does things differently. I can't believe the NFL, A, doesn't have a sky judge yet. And B, doesn't have what the NHL is offering. You know, knowing just how much they love, I mean, the NFL films, the, you know, the sounds, the, the hard knocks, the, just everything about them just seems to be, you know, let's own our content, let's own our brand and let's put it out there for people to see as long as nobody else tweets it themselves or uses any of our stuff ever, right? Don't, don't use our name, get our name out of your mouth, get our videos off of your Twitter feeds, but we're going to do it ourselves. I can't believe that they're not doing what the NHL is doing with some sort of formal rolling, you know, Instagram account that breaks down every single incident. But I do think the transparency is bad for the NFL. You know, they've, they've seen that happen to them too many times to, to maybe go this far down what they do have. And they, and they put it out every single year is an actual, basically like a legend for how these fines work. Here's the 25 to 30 categories of fines that we that we basically consider in our league. Here's what it costs for a first offense. Here's what it costs for a second offense. You know, starting from everything from bumping an official to yelling at an official to roughing the quarterback to punching to horse collar tackles. Um, you know, there there's it's a good specific list, except for two things, right? 95% of these things get thrown into unsportsmanlike conduct with air quotes and these fi- these actual price tags that for first and second offenses, they're only baselines. <laughs> so, so if it was a horse collar tackle, which should be $15,000, but it wasn't that bad. I mean, his neck really didn't get snapped back. Let's only cost, let's only find him 12,000 for this one. So <laughs> there's a ton of wiggle room still. With that said, I still think having some sort of format that people like me or, or fans that are into this stuff, or, or reporters who are trying to figure out, you know, what might happen to said player because of an action in a game. I think it's good to have something to go to, but the fact that they don't use it by the book basically renders it useless. <laughs> you know, 
Um, right. So I don't really know how to how to really think about that too much. Your thoughts on that? I'm sure I'm sure you've seen the the, the table they put out every year. You know, I mean, if you throw, yeah. if you throw a football into this into this crowd after scoring a touchdown, you're getting popped seven thousand. Except for sometimes, if you hand it to a player or toss it lightly, you're only going to get popped forty five hundred. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Ugh. I don't know. Any thoughts there? I, I mean it. It's good that they have the matrix there, but like you said, if they're not going to use the matrix, then it, it you know, it, yeah, it's null and it's sort of null and void. I mean, I guess if you have the baseline and there's a, a gray area in there, but um, yeah, I, mean, I get it, I get yeah, it, yeah, yeah, I do too. But I, I agree with you for a t for a league that they've had trouble with transparency. Um, if they had something like the NHL where they own that content a little bit more, right. then it, it may help them in the long run. And But may, maybe they don't want to do that because then there isn't that tra- that digital paper trail of, you know, this was a first offense and this is what it was, and here's the, the third uh, second offense and this was what it was. But this one, you know, if they have that video – then you know there's hard evidence that's already there for easily for people like me and you to go and look at or you know the average fan to look at to say that one was way worse than this one and he only got fined this much and you know maybe maybe they're trying to uh not have that they want the grayness they want to be able to say this this was the fine, but all right, we're just gonna go two thousand dollars less because it wasn't as bad as this, and no one's gonna no one's gonna remember that what happened two or three years ago is worse than what this was. Even well, was let, let me spin it this way because you just kind of hit on a pretty good point, and maybe it's counterproductive to what we've been talking about. But if they come out and say, "Look, I mean, we can use the Saints situation, right? The the, the pass interference." What's more objective than pass interference? Nothing. Mm-hmm. And they kind of said, hey, we blew that one. But th- is that maybe the only call ever that they've come out and said, hey, we kind of blew that one? You know, I, I mean, maybe there's there's more internal discussions, obviously, where how they grade these referees and things like that. But I, you mentioned the gray area. What, what, what are we talking about after every NFL football game? 1 p.m., 4 p.m., 8 p.m., Monday Night Football, Thursday. What are we talking about? We're talking about blown calls 100% of the time. But we're talking. We're, we're, we're talking. It could be the worst game ever Thursday night, ever. But there's probably a call or two that we didn't agree with, and the entire NFL audience is having a Royal Rumble discussion about the, how badly that pass interference call was or how holding wasn't called at all this game or how you know that one player looked offsides or how you know the roughing the passer calls are getting worse and worse. There's conversation, constant conversation, constant. If they come out with a video saying, this is what we're putting our stamp on, this is exactly what the official league statement is on this, there'll still be some some blowback like the NHL gets, but I don't think there, there'll be much room for you know a back and forth with it because there is no other side. The other side is Correct. this video review, and if you want to take the other, st- the other stance, you can have it, but how long is that going to last? I think the gray area... The gray matter actually opens up more engagement, more audience engagement, you know, within it, because people want to talk NFL insufferably. They just want to, can, can, you know, whether it's right. in season, off season, whatever it is. And I just think maybe the, the, the unknown opens up fans to endless discussion. So maybe they know that, you know, maybe the, yeah. maybe the marketing people in there say, Hey, if we just kind of keep our mouth shut and let everyone else do the talking, they'll, they'll, keep us relevant 
12 months a year on their own. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's an excellent point because if something happened on a Thursday night, you know the first thing that's going to be talked about on all of the morning shows is what was that a good call or exactly. not call? And They're dying like, for Friday it, morning it, content, it, yes. It it builds the it builds the conversation, builds the content that the the uh, you know the, the people that are paying for the NFL content, whether it's ESPN or you know NBC, CBS, all those you know the, Fox that that content is being generated for them without right. them having to necessarily dig to make something, which is where when we were going through the whole you know, the pandemic and having sports all shut down, there wasn't that automatically generated content for yeah. those talk shows to have. So post-game yeah, objectivity, right? <laughs> yeah, right. So I, I agree. In, in this case, maybe you're right. The NFL internally has said, let's have this gray area. And at least we've put out a matrix of these are what the fines will be, but we can go higher or lower based on, the egregiousness of the act. And they right on that same page with the matrix, they, they tell you exactly how this works. Then, you know, there's a video review. I mean, they, any player that is subject to a fine receives a formal letter informing them that something's happened. They get it. That player gets a video of the play. So I, I imagine it's similar to what the NHL is doing. And then they're given their, their, their cost and the ability to appeal it. And if they don't appeal or if they lose their appeal, then their next game check is just deducted, whatever the fine was going to be. So, you know, there's, there's certainly a formal process to it. And, and, it, you know, they're using the technology for accordingly. It's just, they're not putting that out publicly for like the NHL is again, I'm not sure if that's good or bad. I, I don't have really have a full stance on what the NHL is doing. I, I think they might, I think you were right in that they, they maybe more than any of these other leagues feel they need to do that for a variety of reasons. They're the, they're the league that just feels like, Hey, we got to go out and get the fan interest in this regard and make sure that we're covered and make sure that we're like, whatever it is. Um, I, don't, I feel like the NFL maybe doesn't feel like they have to go that route, that they don't have to be public. Like we're talking about here. Um, and again, the NFL's fines and suspension money goes to some sort of emergency fund for legends, for former players and families, very similar to the NHL, some sort of formal emergency system that the CBA um, this one might not be, you know, you know, where the NHL has a system where it's going directly to a player, you know, it's going to, you know, a certain player, uh, maybe almost like governmentally based, a certain player reaches out and says, Hey, I'm, I'm, I've fallen on some really hard times. I need some help. Um, the NHL sounds like that they're, they're going directly to this, this person and saying, you know, we're going to give you X dollars and setting up some side of payment payment process. It looks like the NFL, with every iteration of CBA, uh, elects like maybe eight to 10 programs that they work with. I'm sure there's like a food bank and some mental health and things like that. And, and that money goes to these programs specifically, who then in turn help former players and their families. So maybe a little bit more convoluted with the NFL, but probably just as effective, if not more, because of the formality of it. So again, positive news there. Um, and the last thing on the NFL, Scott, that I put out there, because I'm kind of the one that tracks this stuff. It has gotten much, much, much harder to pinpoint weekly fines purposefully. No question about it. They are, they are keeping this under, under wraps a little bit more. Um, generally, when I find out uh, that a fine has happened, it's from the player directly. The players are either complaining about it or having fun with it or putting it on their socials uh, or beat reporters are getting wind from players, things like that. But um, much, much less, even from the NFL network people, much, much less actual reports from the league that 
player X has been fined for player infraction. So um, it's just how it's going to be. And, and oh, by the way, it may mean that there's less fines happening too. Right? We've seen a bit of an up and down hills and valleys with this, especially like week two is like the all holding week. It's just, it's just an annual thing. It's an annual tradition like no other. Week one, they're not going to call too much. Week two, everybody's holding every play. Um, so it looks like maybe there's a bit of a system in place that, that, that these referees are being trained and, and it seems like the league as a whole has maybe refined that process as we've gone along as well. All right. I'm going to tease the baseball stuff and then I'm going to let you talk because I don't want to go off on a tangent here. Uh, in the most unsurprising turn of events ever, major league baseball has basically absolutely nothing, no structure to this. There's nothing in the CBA and there's no specific policy um, it's just fines are fines. We're going to take it one at a time. Every, everything's going to be unique. Um, it sounds like some of these fines ca- that are categorized as such do go directly to charity. Um, you know, I would imagine domestic violence and things that have specific ties to programs and foundations, that money's just getting fun- funneled directly to it. So, for instance, uh, Sam Dyson, uh, free agent pitcher, just got popped for the entire year for domestic violence. I'm going to guess that whatever fines he's getting in the back end of this would go directly to some sort of organization. Anything else, this is literally what it says inside the Major League Baseball documentation. All other fines and and money pulled from from issues of, uh, of jurisdiction go to the Major League Baseball General Fund which is just the most baseball thing ever. This is the oldest sport, right, of all these. This is the, the most tradition. You would think the most structure. It's, it couldn't be more, more opposite. There is nothing more baseball to me right now than the Major League Baseball General Fund. Your thoughts? I mean, wow. what does that even mean, right? Yeah. Mustard? Right. <laughs> what are we even uh, talking about here? Well, at least, at least the other leagues are doing something. Say where something, back to a player. Just, you just know. lie to us. Just put something out there. Call it the MLB Foundation, which just sounds better. You know yes. what I mean? Like the general or, fun. Are you just trying to get of, killed? A, or a charity that we decide during each year, or so, something <laughs> better than general fun that just makes it sound like petty cash that they're general fun is what you put is money you put away for your kids that you know your kids are never getting like oh yeah we're using that for something you know that's going to be disney world or something but your kids are never getting that money that's exactly what it sounds like to me it it, in baseball it's interesting that they don't really have a quote-unquote fines like you said but it's more of Instead of fining you, we're just going to suspend you. That That's their yeah. go-to. We're going to sp- suspend you five games or 80 games. At least they have you know, a, a, a designation of how they're going to fine and, and, or suspend with PEDs and that kind of stuff. But you know, in general, when you look at across the board, they really don't have a lot of quote-unquote fining. They just automatically go to we're going to suspend you X amount of games for – whatever it may be. Um, and that's just, I guess the way how they decide they want a policy. Um, so, so uh, just to spin off that and, and we'll finish up here with it. Here's something that many people might not know. I, I was a huge, huge fan until I got into this kind of, this kind of, you know, data. I didn't know this. You mentioned the PEDs, obviously players that are popped for PEDs in major league baseball or any sport they're, they're suspended without pay. So, you know, Robbie, Robbie Cano, he's losing all, all $24 million of his salary this year. 
Um, and, and there's really, there's nothing he can do about it. If you charge the mound and pop a guy seven times in the head, you're going to get suspended with pay. If you throw a ball, if a pitcher throws a ball at a guy's head, you're going to get suspended with pay. Almost all of the on-field suspensions come with pay. Did you know that? I did not. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I'm sure there's some fines that we don't hear about, but for the most part, you know, the... The policing that's so done on the field. Yeah. So most, not even most a percentage of, like the other leagues? No. No. You wow. get your paychecks. It's just, like I said, there's probably fines. Um, and it goes to the old rule. Again, it's it's a lack of institutional structure because it's the old saying. Let these guys figure it out themselves in the field. That's exactly what this is all about. It's we don't want to step in. Okay? If Chapman wants to throw at somebody's head, then you know what's going to happen next inning. And we'll, you know, we'll suspend them and we'll make them sit down for a game. Well, guess what? If you're going to pay me to sit in a 162 season, that's just a day. That's paid vacation, baby. So it's, uh, it's really interesting how, how little structure that this league just continues to unfold. And we're heading towards another CBA right now. I mean, literally months away, weeks away. Well, it, it's it, just, the uh, other- there's so many, there's so many things that we could bring up for this new CBA. <laughs> Yeah, there are. And what's interesting is if you get if you get suspended as a pitcher and they say, oh, five games, well, you're yeah. going to be able to make your next start as opposed to a yeah. position player. You lo- you do lose five games because you're not going to play those. So, you know, it's almost like if they did go to a more structured system, you'd have to have position players versus a pitching. Imagine that, right? Yeah. Batters and pitchers being treated separately. Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> there's so much to talk about. I still love the sport. I watched the spring training game today, this afternoon. So I don't, you know, I'm not bagging on it cause I hate it. I'm, I love it. And I wish it were better and had a little bit more to talk about when we're do, do these kind of breakdowns and, and really sport, um, you know, comparisons like this, this is, this is kind of the fun part of what we do, Scott, with spot Trek is that we get to look at all of these different leagues kind of collectively, but also separately, and this is kind of the, one of the, a unique situation, uh, but it's good to see that most of the money is going to really, really important causes, much of which uh, are tied to the leagues. So, you know, former players, that's a, that's a really important part of this Yeah, uh, it is. as, as these roster crunches happen in all these leagues and the average age and average length of careers come, you know, kind of tumbling down the, the former player situation is going to get worse and worse. Um, any last thoughts before we transition to our, our second segment here? Nope. That's it. Yeah. Good stuff. Any questions at Spotrack, info at Spotrack.com with any email requests as well. All right. Some breaking news here. I'm sure you're seeing as well. I'm probably, uh, you know, ticking at the, uh, at the clock to get to Blake Griffin has officially cleared waivers and he is expected to sign with the Brooklyn Nets. No surprise, but it's coming. So that's, uh, that means Andre Drummond will not be. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, most likely. So is, Drum- is Drummond case. a trade candidate? Or is he going to follow the path? They're going to try Griffin? to. Tra- yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I think they're going to. I think he is more tradable than Griffin was, which is why Detroit decided to just cut ties now. Both both of them, the teams both went in the direction of we're going to quote unquote rest you sure. until further notice. And Blake was the casualty that happened first. And they just decided there is probably absolutely no trade partner no, whatsoever. No. So we're going to just buy him out and be done with the situation. Drummond sounds like there's probably more teams that are in for him. And maybe because they think um, they can acquire his 
his bird rights and then re-sign him in the offseason if they choose to. So Is he going uh, to the same city, Scott? Mm, I think he might. I think there's a chance. I think Boston's an option. Don't you uh, think the Knicks are real are for real though? I do. I, I mean, think they, they have I cap space. Like, they could use a big yeah. man with Mitchell Robinson hurt still. I this it there's a lot of reasons to do it, right? There are. There are. All right, that's my front runner. Okay, real quick on this second segment. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through the NFL rankings tracker on Spot Track by average salary, so AAVs. We're going to flip through every position and you're going to tell me which of these positions is going to get market reset in the next couple of weeks. Okay. That's it. Let's start with the big one. Is anybody going to eclipse Patrick Mahomes? It could be Russell Wilson, could be Aaron Rodgers, could be Josh Allen, could be Lamar Jackson, Dak I'll Prescott. Just stop. I'll just stop you. No. Nobody's going 45 plus. No. Okay. Next question. I guess we'll do it. Who's going to who's going to eclipse Christian McCaffrey? Is it going to happen this year? Ooh. I think the only one that there's two Adam, Adam, Aaron, um, Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones. I meant if he walks Aaron Jones, but I'm going to give you another name here who just became extension eligible. Saquon Barkley. (laughs) Out of the two, I think Saquon is probably the more likely Mm -hmm. to eclipse him because I think, you know, it's in a, it's a similar situation with McCaffrey in Carolina. Um, but I'm going to say, no, I'm going to say neither. Yeah. I think it waits a year or two. I I think Barkley is eventually the guy who does it, but it's next off season or maybe even the end of this season, but probably not early this off season, at least wide receivers. This one's tough. I'm going to put an asterisk on this one because Yes, DeAndre Hopkins is the AAV king right now at 27 and change, but it was such a funny money extension. It was really just a restructure. So it's kind of semantic. So I'm gonna I'm gonna count Julio Jones' 22 million a year as kind of the true top AAV wide receiver in football right now. Anybody going 22 million? Chris Godwin, Allen Robinson, Juju, any of those guys, Kenny Galladay. Anybody getting up there right now? I'm gonna. I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna say no. In a down year, I, if the cap was rising, I could. And, and there was more cap space to be available. Mm-hmm. I, I, I could see it more likely. Uh, but this year, I'm gonna say no. I think teams are gonna be a little bit more financially fiscal and smarter. I think it's obviously a, a what if, but I do believe if Allen Robinson walks and he's not given that 18 million dollar tag by Chicago that a team will overpay a bad team, you know, a Jacksonville, maybe he goes back to Jacksonville. Maybe Indy comes in swinging a not so bad team. Maybe the dolphins come in swinging big. Um, and they do overpay on the AAV, but it's long-term to allow cap flexibility this year. You know what I mean? So it's going to be big, big next year, big, big year three, but a a little bit smaller this year. And in order to do that, you're going to have to probably eclipse 22 million a year. He's not worth that in my opinion. I mean, he's not a Julio Jones type player just yet, but he has shown flashes. And uh, to me, he's the only guy. I don't think Kenny Galladay gets there. His overpay for me is 20. And, you know, T.Y. Hilton's overpay is 18 right now. So there's a couple of names that could could approach it. Godwin is a $20 million wide receiver, but I I really don't think he leaves Tampa Bay now the more I've kind of read the tea leaves. 
and he is not a $20 million wide receiver in Tampa Bay. He is going to have to take a, a pretty sizable pay cut to stay. So um, it, to me, it's L. Robinson or bust, but it's it's certainly the position to watch this obviously. So there's no question about it. Tight ends are interesting. I'm going to throw a couple of names at you here. Let's just say Zach Ertz is released, outright released. Um, you've got Gerald Everett, Rams free agent. You've got Jono Smith, Tennessee Titans free agent. You've got uh, Hunter Henry, a free agent with the Chargers, who it doesn't sound like is getting a second franchise there. So pretty good names. And I'm probably missing a few here. Um, decent names. George Kittle's 15 mil is the high. Anybody going there? No, I don't think so. Yeah, I'm not even I mean, sure. I'm not even sure these I, guys are going Austin Hooper's 10 and a half, Scott. I really don't. Yeah, I was going to say, I think you're going to be below 10. Okay. Yeah, you're right. That might be the position that gets crunched this down season. Kyle Rudolph, by the way, is the other one I was thinking of. And if he's going to the Patriots, there's not a chance he's going top dollar. So uh, good luck, Kyle. Let's go offensive tackles. Is anybody eclipsing $23 million a year? David Bakhtiari, Aaron Rodgers, left tackle currently. The name for me would be Trent Williams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Trent. we talked about that before. Um uh, they're so they're so important in the game now that I, I could see someone overpaying. That's a yes for me. Even if it's San yeah. Francisco to stay with them, it's a yes for me. Um, right tackles, by the way. I mean, that market's 18 million right now. So if you're talking Taylor Moten, if you're talking, uh, you know, a couple of other names out there, uh, Orlando Brown wants to be a left tackle, but he is a right tackle. He needs a contract. We'll see. We'll see if anybody approaches that 15, 18 million dollar mark on the right side. Guards are interesting in kind of your neck of the woods here. The top guard is about 14 and change. Brandon Scherf, I imagine, is probably getting the second franchise tag, although maybe not. He's up for a massive extension. Is he going to be a $15 million per year guard? Joe, I'm going to say yes. Yeah, Joe, I'm gonna say Joe yes. Tooney maybe as well. Yeah, I think there's a possibility yeah. we have more than one, to be honest with you. Um, free agent centers. Corey Lindsley, again, Aaron Rodgers center is probably the top center that's about to hit the open market. Twelve and a half million per year is Ryan Kelly with Indy. Is he going there? He's worth about nine and a half to ten in our system, Scott. Is he getting overpaid for? Oh, I'll say yes. Yeah, it's a hard no. It's a hard no for me. centers there's no way you're overpaying for a center right now in my opinion but you know i'm certain to be 100 wrong the top defensive edge rusher joey bosa's 27 million dollar per year extension with the chargers is anybody going there shaq barrett matt judon bud dupree jadavian Clowney, i guess i mean there's names trey hendrickson is anybody even approaching 27 million I'm going to say no. No, I, I can't get there. I, I can no. barely get Shaq Barrett to 20. And I know he's probably getting 20, but we just haven't seen a player hit free agency, you know, or, or, or even be extended internally right now that doesn't come with red flags. They've all got something, whether it's a, a recent injury or they had a down year in terms of sack production. You know, there's just not many Aaron Donalds out there breaking news, right? There's just not. Your, your, your guy's probably going to have a down year if he just had a huge year. Now, Shaq Barrett's down year was still pretty darn good. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a solid year this year. It just certainly wasn't what he did last year. But the problem is, you know, you got players like D Ford and, and Fletcher Cox and these other these guys that got paid. Demarcus Lawrence had another bum year. I, they come and they, they kind of come and go. And when you're going 20 million plus with a lot of guaranteed dough, 
Trey Flowers, remember him? He's got a $20 million cap hit this year on $18 million a year with Detroit. There's just there's some bad situations out there right now. Even though they're great players still, it's just the consistency isn't there, you know, and the injuries are there as well. So I wonder if this price ever starts to kind of level off and plateau. Well, it's something to keep really keep an eye on in terms of the trends because I just don't know that a lot of teams love the fact that, you know, that their outside linebacker is – 17 million more than their average player right now. It's just an interesting dichotomy right now. Defensive tackles, I mentioned it. There's a couple good ones out there for sure. A couple more getting released probably. The bar is Aaron Donald's 22 and a half. I don't imagine. I mean, DeForest Buckner came pretty close last year in Indy after they gave up a lot of draft capital to, to acquire him and then were basically forced to resign him. Are we going to see anybody approach Aaron Donald this year? No, I don't think so. No, no way. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Uh, Bobby Wagner and CJ Mosley are, are 18 and $17 million inside linebackers right now. Do I even need to ask the question? No, you don't. Okay. Next question. Cornerbacks, Jalen Ramsey, obviously just loaded up again because of draft capital. He really had all the, uh, all the dominoes in his court. There's some good ones out there that need, that need a, a payday, you know, halfway decent ones, at least many of have been extended already. Anybody going 20 million north in any capacity in the secondary? So Jamal Adams as a safety, right? I mean, John Johnson, all the all the big time free agents or rookies who are who may be extended. Is anybody going to eclipse Jalen Ramsey or is he going to be the lead dog in, in terms of defensive backs throughout 2021? Would you bet the field or Jalen? I would bet Jalen. And if it was the field, it would be a cornerback because we rarely see safeties get that high. So you think it's too high? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think a safety gets near there, but I, if I had to bet, I'm, I'd take Ramsey over the field. It's interesting because Jamal Adams basically, uh, I mean, Seattle basically gave up exactly what the Rams had to give up for Jalen Ramsey to get Jamal Adams. So I, if I'm an agent, I don't know how you don't attach those two situations at the hip, you know? Um, yeah. I, I mean, Jalen, there's no way that, I, that Jalen Ramsey's worth $20 million a year. Uh, but again, there's an argument for it. There's a great argument for it. So we'll see. I, I, there's going to be a lot more players over $20 million a year than not next year, right? I mean, that's going to be when a lot of these players and agents are going to wait intelligently because of what's coming. Um you know, if I, if I do a quick look right now, there's about 20, 30, maybe, maybe 25 players that are 20 million or, or, or more on their average salary. Um, so it's, it's getting there, you know, the, the bottom of the barrel being Amari Cooper and Jalen Ramsey and Chris Jones. I, I'm not even sure we get two free, true free agents, you know, maybe Shaq Barrett gets there. And like I said, maybe Allen Robinson, maybe Chris Godwin, maybe two to three, legit free agents get to the 20 million per year mark. So it's, it's not going to be a, a, an eye popping year in terms of the numbers, you know, similar to what the baseball season just gave us, but there'll be depth. There'll be a lot of uh, solid players going, you know, maybe going to teams together, like we talked about, but I just don't see too many of these positions resetting their markets right now. It probably doesn't make good business sense, nor do we have the, the players out there to do it, you know, and, and unless it's going to become an NBA situation where, slightly above average players get elite money. Um, I, I just don't see it happening. And I think you agree with that, right? I do agree. Yeah, good stuff. What else? Any good sports books or movies in your life to finish this thing off? Mm. 
Uh, no, not at the moment. Okay. Good stuff, Scott. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Top notch. All right. Uh, Spring training is here. The NHL is about midpoint. The NBA is is literally midpoint. We're an hour away from the NBA uh, All-Star game, which already has its controversy. The NFL <laughs> is 10 days away from its league year start. So franchise tags are due Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern. We will certainly be all over that in our next show. And then we get into collusion times, right? It's going to be cap casualty from what way too many people are calling a bloodbath. I'm not sure it's going to be just that, by the way. I, I, and again, I'm going to restate this because I've said it a lot, either on this show or other shows. A lot of these guys who are getting released out of their contracts right now are coming back. They're coming back with the exact same team. It's just semantics. It's we got to get you out of that contract. There's nothing left. There's minimal dead cap. There's no guarantees left. We need to restructure you on a brand new fresh start on a fresh slate so that we can work together this year and then work together in your favor next year. There's just going to be a lot of that. So when you see a name fall off a roster, don't lose your freaking mind, okay? <laughs> because chances are that player is probably coming back. Now, yes, the agent's still going to go and call six other teams and try to make sure that he does his due diligence or she does her due diligence to get a good price or maybe even to find a better situation. So there's a chance that somebody falls off and then, you know, I'll give the Bills John Brown a player who's on the bubble for the Bills, a wide receiver, you know, I think the Bills would probably release him out of his current contract to say, hey, we want to bring you back at a couple million less. We're going to give you a good signing bonus or we're going to give you an option year or incentives, or escalation possibilities for 2022 in case this really does continue to work out and we want you here again next year. John Brown's agent's still going to go out there to, you know, Arizona or Denver or San Francisco and say, hey, my guy's available. What do you want from him? You know what I mean? That's still going to happen, but uh, you know, the, the relationship is probably going to stay pretty strong with previous team and, and player. So just don't lose your mind. That's my, that's my only uh, public service announcement here as we get closer to this free agency and these cap casualties really do come in. This is a real cap casualty year. This is not a fake one. This is not teams making up that they can't find cap space, even though most of you out there know how much of a myth that really is. This is a real year for that with some of these teams. So there really is a need to start over and at least start these contracts from from scratch. So don't lose your minds. We'll try to stay on top of it as much as possible and, and kind of read those tea leaves to understand who might really be gone, who might be just doing a quick restructure and, uh, you know, try to try to educate as much as possible along the way. Scott, good stuff. We'll be back in a couple of days, of course. My thanks to The Athletic. Check out theathletic.com slash spot track for 40% off your first year subscription for Scott Allen. My name is Mike Genetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast.